Welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Elias Rosner. And I'm Jaina Hill. And today, actually, I don't remember what we're doing today, but my sense memory is leading me to open a file and... Oh, Taskmaster! We're talking about Taskmaster! Excelsior! You have been trying to get us to read this series for, what, a year and a half? At least. I love Taskmaster. Taskmaster is probably my favorite Marvel villain. But I'm why? Like, I'm like thinking it through. I just, uh, well, we'll talk more about it throughout the episode, obviously. Uh, but before mm-hmm. this story, I just like, um, I love the way he answers a question about the Marvel universe that you never thought to ask, which is hmm. who trains all these minions all the time? Like everyone has this army of minions. And it turns out that Taskmaster like kind of on the side, like runs a school for minions. So all the Hydra guys and all the AIM guys, they all like learn how to kick and punch from Taskmaster. Uh, so I think that's funny. And I like the mercenary villains who like punch in and punch out. I like juggernauts like that. And because he'll have like a drink with the X-Men after hours. <laughs> Absorbing Man and Titania are like that. They're like, they're kind of friendly with their, their nemeses. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and Taskmaster has that vibe because he's so mercenary that if the good guys hire Taskmaster, he'll, he'll be good. They pay him enough. Which is a vibe that I like. And I don't know, he's just kind of like got this like funny, the thing, Lower East Side, maybe New Jersey, kind of like gruff, old fashioned New Yorker of tone that I always like in Marvel. Hmm. I guess that would do it. These are all things I like about Taskmaster. Uh, you're, you're not, you're, you're, I find Tony Masters underwhelming. Not that I find him underwhelming, but I don't think I am in the uh, same camp as you as like Taskmaster is my number one villain. The guy that anytime he shows up. I'm buying the issue. I'm reading the issue. I'm loving it. It's just not kind of, that's not, he's not the kind of villain for that for me. But I enjoy when he shows up. And if he's done well, he's always entertaining. Yeah. And like, I'm thinking like Dr. Doom is obviously the best Marvel villain, but like, that's obvious. Yeah. You can't compete with Doom. And like, there's been a surprisingly good number of Thanos stories and uh magneto has a lot of nuance to him like there's there's some marvel villains that i would admit are like greater than taskmaster if i was trying to do a definitive ranking taskmaster is my favorite villain like the one who i like the most proportionally to how most people like him Hmm. and i just like i like that his face is a skull different artists have so much fun drawing the skull i like that he uh has those weird pirate boots that uh even when they try to do like a more armored mercenary taskmaster look like, uh, the iconic elements of the costume always carry on. The, the hood, mm-hmm. the mask, the boots. I was going to say the skull, but the skull is the mask. Yeah, the skull. Well, and th- sometimes people draw his face like an actual skull, which is kind of fun to see. In that way where, like, mm-hmm. Spider-Man's mask is sort of like, uh, and Deadpool's mask are very emotive. Mm-hmm. And perhaps too much so. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I get you. Uh, Taskmaster has been has not even been around as long as um, I was just reading up on the Marvel villain Paladin for something I'm working on separately from this. Uh-huh. And and Paladin is like five years older than Taskmaster and he's like a nothing character. No one's asking when Paladin's going to make his MCU villain debut. No, no. I'd, I don't even know who Paladin is. Uh, he's like a mercenary. He wears like a purple helmet. He hangs out with Misty Knight and Luke Cage sometimes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, l- I like Paladin, but only because I've read weird comics about him. <laughs> uh, so Taskmaster first shows up in an issue of Avengers in uh, 1980. He first shows up in issue that's 195. He's created by David Michelin 
and George Perez, uh, R.I.P. George Perez, who passed mm-hmm. away recently. And it's just like, I really got to tell you, if I was making a list of like um, of my best of all time in history comic artists, George Perez would be like a top five. five like, like the Mount Rushmore. I think George Perez makes my Mount Rushmore. Well deserved and well earned. Right. Like uh, I'm trying to come up really fast on the fly. Like uh, I do Jack Kirby, George Perez, um, John Byrne, probably. And I have to think of a fourth. <laughs> you're right it's got to be four so yeah we for my for my mount rushmore of comic of marvel artist faces oh okay i was like i was like comic artists i, I could probably think of a few but i don't oh, know yeah, if they've if done I, any marvel stuff yeah well it, the, and if you look at the, the cover of that perez uh issue number 196 that's the first time that like most comic fans are probably seeing taskmaster and that's just like a kick-ass perez cover it's he's Perez is like uh, the art that I grew up seeing on like lunchboxes and like folders mm-hmm. that you'd buy at Office Max and shit for little tweens. And um, so George Perez is like the epitome of what a superhero comic looks like to me. Oh, that is a great cover. Yeah. Have you, have you seen this one before? No, I just looked it up, though. That's awesome. He definitely is like channeling Deathstroke. Yeah, so you see some death circuit in there, and I think that's definitely true. And, like, uh, for people who are driving and listening to a podcast, try to capture what you're seeing about this Perez cover. So it's Taskmaster. It's just him. He's a figure on the cover. He's standing there. He's got a bow in one hand, a sword in the other. He's got a rope on his on his uh, utility belt. He's got a shield. Uh, and he's kind of just menacingly staring at you and underneath his feet there's a uh, spotlight that kind of looks like a maze but i think it's also just kind of like a town and his there's a my favorite thing we got that speech bubble and it just says anything the avengers can do i can do better yeah and better is in huge red letters and yeah. then in a smaller caption towards the bottom it says he's looking for men who like to kill introducing the treacherous taskmaster what a way to sell that. And, and like, are you seeing what I'm talking about with Perez just being the best? Like, uh, the the face is mostly in shadow, so it's using a lot of negative space. But, like, the eyes and the skull teeth are so striking. You're sticking out of his hood. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who colored this uh, cover, but it's got this, like, really ugly green background. And then Taskmaster's <laughs> orange cape is, like, popping because they clash so much. Mm-hmm. This, to me, if I saw this, I would be like, oh, yeah, that guy's a, a classic supervillain, obviously. He's been around since uh, the 30s, I'm sure. According to the uh, Marvel Wiki, Joe Rubenstein and Gaspar Saladino are the other two artists on the cover. They don't specify if one's an inker and one's a colorist or both colorists or whatnot. But yeah, good, great inking on this cover now that I'm looking for it. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I, I feel like being created by George Perez gives you like a huge bonus. You get a, the, that Perez bump for being iconic looking. Mm-hmm. Tasky got his first miniseries in 2002. And that's around the time he got, like, roped into Deadpool land. If you read <laughs> Deadpool comics a lot of the time, Taskmaster shows up as, like, a major recurring antagonist. Mm-hmm. Partly because they develop this thing where Deadpool's pow- Deadpool is immune to Taskmaster's powers. Taskmaster can't copy any of Deadpool's moves because his moves are too crazy and sporadic. <laughs> Which, like, okay. positions... And I kind of like how that that's like a Taskmaster is kind of the Joker to his Batman or the other way around, really. Um, yeah. Where like Taskmaster elementally uh, represents the opposite of the chaos that is Deadpool. Uh, did you ever read Adventures of the Initiative from like 2007, 2008? That is quite honestly where I dropped off. 
Um, well, no, that's not true. I I have not. I just haven't read anything in that era other than Spider Man. And now uh, the, the Annihilation stuff. Oh yeah, that. Oh yeah, that did happen during the during the initiative. I just remember it, it starting and being like, "This is this this kind of stinks." But it's it's and it starts in Civil War. Remember, because then the heroes go yeah. back and they're like, "I can't believe you're worried about this." Oh my god, Civil War. <laughs> Uh, but Avengers the Initiative, I always thought was a fun idea where uh, superheroes become like uh, all licensed by S.H.I.E.L.D. and they try to stick one in every uh, state in the United States. And they end up hiring Taskmaster both to like represent their moral dubiousness, but hmm. also because like they're just trying to standardize superpowers um, to train all of these heroic kids for once. And uh, he, which he references in the issues we'll talk today, talk about later today. Um, but like this version of Taskmaster and that like Jersey accent I love for him, this is around the time uh, his Dark Reign appearances, which I think to this day is probably my favorite larger Marvel like meta narrative. Yeah, I there's like so You've much talk- good stuff. Mm-hmm. I've talked about this before. Oh yeah, you you have gushed about Dark Reign a lot. Yeah, well, so I guess that's another reason why I'm nostalgic is I loved those comics and that's where Taskmaster started to pop. And now and this comes out around that time. And then I guess uh, he's shown up sporadically as a villain. Um, and there's that MCU appearance which we were not going to talk about. No. And then he had a mini series. Was it last year? Or two years ago? Um, by Jed McKay, and he's shown up a few times in his Moon Knight and. And whatnot. He seems to have a real affinity for Taskmaster. Yeah, and Jed McKay writes a perfect Taskmaster. He he's definitely read uh, this series, and he really gets the character. <laughs> a couple of other things I just think are fun about Tasky is mm-hmm. um, he's BFFs with Eric O'Grady, the Black Ant, uh, the third guy who called himself Ant Man, and um, oh. they actually had a really cute bromance going on through uh, Nick Spencer's Spider Man. Oh, it almost redeems part of Nick Spencer's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I said almost. Almost. Definitely, definitely my favorite part of Hunted. Yeah, weren't they a delight? They were. They really were. Uh, that's, it. that's the thing is because Taskmaster isn't evil, he's just mercenary, uh, he could have some like really fun, genuine relationships, even though he has no loyalty to anybody. <laughs> he's also a very fun fighter in Marvel vs. Capcom 3, which has the best fighting game roster ever. Mm-hmm. There's an obscure character in Marvel named Finesse, a.k.a. Jean Foucault, um, who has the same powers as him, and she theorizes that she's his daughter. Um, you probably know her from that Infinity crossover, right? Like Infinity Warps and everything? Oh, she was in that? Yeah, she shows up in the Contest of Champions there. Oh, I remember so little about Infinity Warps. I should go back and reread that because I every time I read about it on the wiki, I was like, wait, that sounds great. Uh, why, why don't I remember this more? <laughs> I think um, the warps were fun, but the the event that spawned it was was just kind of OK. I, that's probably there's probably truth to that. I haven't I, I really haven't gone back to it since it came out um, there. Uh, her, uh, what did I say? Finesse. That's her name. Finesse shows up for the first time in um, Avengers Academy by Christos Gage, which I actually really like. Um, and that's where she confronts Taskmaster, is like, are you my dad? And he guys kind of shrugs. And then we've never gone back to that story. I've been well, waiting for that to be resolved. Question mark. Um, well, it's very unlikely that he knows, uh, given the events of the comic we're going to talk about today. I just talked about Taskmaster for a really long time because I love him. Elias, who is your favorite Marvel villain? Hmm... That's a good question. You That's asked really me. You didn't have a, you didn't have an answer prepared. No, I didn't. I mean, I was thinking about it, but 
I don't have a good answer. I guess because I don't really have... I... Hmm... Do you have, like, a special guy that if he shows up in something, you're, like, you're reading this story? Yeah, like, I think it's Moreland. It's Moreland? That's awesome. I, I think it's Moreland, the the weird spider totem vampire guy. He's just so much fun. That, <laughs> I, I think it has to be him, yeah. Well, and then, you know what? That's following the exact same templates with me and Taskmaster. Like, uh, his first appearance, or not his first, but uh, his iconic appearance was in the run that kind of got you into comics. Oh, for sure. And um, and when he shows up all the time, and when people know how to write him, he's great. And when they don't, he sucks. Oh yeah. Um. Oh yeah. And I'm he, not he looking forward to lot. that Dan Slot stuff. No, there's some fun stuff in that Dan Slot stuff. No, no, the new stuff, the the end of Spider Verse. Oh he's yeah, gonna be bringing Moreland back again. And I love Moreland, but come on. Morlin has a really good arc where he uh, threatens Iron Fist and tries to eat the dragon soul out of him. <laughs> um, and there's another really good one where Morlin tries to uh, like eat the Greek gods in a Hercules story. Huh. Yeah, there's, I'll, I'll, I can track down some obscure Morlin stuff for you. Morlin's a great answer to that question. Because it's not about when it's like, I feel like uh, obviously Doom is the best, right? We're not going to, there's no debate about that. Uh, I will acquiesce. I'm cocking an eyebrow at you, which you can't see right now, but, <laughs> but obviously Doom is like a, a top finalist and the, the, maybe it's Doom, Magneto, and Thanos or something, right? Okay. I'll give Doom most iconic for sure. Yeah, but then I, it's always more interesting, like, who your irrational fave is in comics, because if you've been in this for long enough, you have a few. I uh, I got a buddy who's obsessed with Mysterio. We'll read anything Mysterio shows up in. Was so delighted by that uh, Amazing Mary Jane series with him. Gone too soon. Gone too soon. Um, yeah, Moreland's a great answer. And <laughs> when we come back from the break, we are going to talk about the specifics of 2010's Taskmaster. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, my wife, bad to impressions, this is bad, what the f***? And an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and welcome back we are talking about taskmaster my trade has this uh called unthinkable uh you read it on marvel unlimited elias yep uh i think the i think it's it's called taskmaster unthinkable there as well but the covers of the actual issues just say taskmaster yeah i i think i remember this when these i can remember this coming out pretty well yeah you have to go by the years with so many times it came out in 2010 so this is the taskmaster 2010 series it is written by Fred Van Lenti, illustrated by Hefte Paolo, uh, colored by Jean- Jean-Francois Beaulieu, and lettered by Dave Lamphere. Oh, I didn't um, even realize Dave Lamphere did the lettering on this. Oh, yeah? Would yeah. You, are you, can you usually spot a Lamphere? No, I mean, I know him from uh, 100 Bullets, and I always forget that he's primarily a letterer. Oh, yeah, he's the, he's <laughs> and he'll the artist show on up that. everywhere. Yeah, real striking art in a hundred bullets. Oh yeah. Um, the so the creator who I I came into this one with with a most affection for is a uh, Fred Van Lenti. Yeah, are you you a Fred Van Lenti fan? 
you have kind of made me a bit of a Fred Van Lanty fan, although I was already because I really liked his Ivar Time Walker stuff when Valiant rebooted, you know, about a decade yeah, ago. I got that one on my shelf. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, and he's he's always does solid, fun, interesting comics. Uh, when he did, he's done a few of those, like the comics history of blank, comics history of comics, comics history of animation. Um, and those are, he, he does hit like those, those fun history books well, um, keeping it interesting, keeping it moving without it also not feeling like, you know, totally embellished. Totally. Um, he also does, uh, action philosophers and action oh, presidents. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, when I was an undergrad, my philosophy professor had all of the action philosopher comics in her office and that's how I knew she was cool. <laughs> she was very cool. Also, uh, got me into the cure. Ooh. Right? I'm saying. Taste, um, I guess. I don't. I haven't listened to The Cure. Well, my cool philosophy professor thought they were cool. And she also thought Fred Van Lenty was cool. I kind of think of Fred Van Lenty as like a funny times guy. Like what he's doing to make all the, the philosophy and the history stuff um, so appealing is it's like light. And it's very like, uh, it feels like a Bill Nye the Science Guy episode, right? Yes. Yes. That's a perfect okay. description, actually. It's got like a, it's like a similar enthusiasm for learning without any apologies for it, mm-hmm. and it's really simplifying stuff without talking down on like a level that kids could get. Yeah, and uh, Van Lenty, his guy, even his more serious comics tend to be a little irreverent. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I would say that. Like Ivar Time Walker, and did he also write any Archer and Armstrong? Um, maybe. I think so. I'm trying to remember. Who did the comeback? The first comeback one. I'm not I, sure on that one. I, it might have been Dennis Hopeless Hallam. Um, no, he's taken over more recently. Yeah, he took over more recently. That's okay. Um, but we're not. This isn't a, uh, a Valiant podcast. God, I it's hope not. not. The Valiant podcast. Yeah, the, we would we would get very sad very fast. Um, Am I yeah, wrong? a Valiant a Valiant podcast would be like six months of joy and then like six years of sorrow. Yeah, I think yeah, I think Fred Van Lenty did write some some uh, Archer and Armstrong and that stuff. It was hilarious when it came out. Overall, this Taskmaster mini, I hadn't come back to it in a while, and <laughs> I will certainly concede that there's elements of it that updated strangely. Yeah, yeah uh, right off the top, a little bit. Uh, but even with that in mind, uh, did you find yourself enjoying this issue, these these four issues? I did. I I very much enjoyed the arc of the the series and yes he did do the archer and armstrong reboot okay i thought so it's the archer and armstrong reboot is a very similar tone to this including probably the political sensibilities for better and for worse <laughs> so when we start this comic uh taskmaster in full uh costume is eating in a diner when um oh i'm sorry i have a weird little two-page thing from a like a point one issue there was a point one issue ah oh, god damn it it's okay. It's just two pages from what you know when they used to do like those little prologues and the in and then collect them all and mm-hmm. call it like Marvel zero point one point now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. But okay, so uh, we do start with Taskmaster in a diner, and immediately we see that there's a huge bounty on his head, and like all the minions of the Marvel universe are here to collect on it. I really like uh, one of the Hydra agents says to another one. Uh, they're all like, "Oh, we worship Taskmaster. That guy's a hero to us." And then one guy says, the man taught me to snap a neck one handed. <laughs> and I, I just like, I love the idea that like Hydra villains, there are, are these terrible guys because <laughs> they are. Yeah. Oh yeah. But um, they're, but they're all like taskmaster. What are we doing? 
And that also that sets up Taskmaster as a great anti-hero because um, he's not a good enough person that he would say no to training the worst people in the world. Mm -hmm. Even though he probably wouldn't carry out their agenda himself. (laughs) But uh, we're also like introduced to a thing that will be a running theme for this series where... It gets into some, like, very basic memory stuff. Yeah. Because we find out quickly that uh, Taskmaster, a.k.a. Tony Masters, has memento disease. (laughs) Or uh, finding Dory disease for uh, those of us who uh, haven't seen Christopher Nolan's second movie. I think memento is a little... This this was a joke from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I'm I'm repeating, where... uh, Someone has memento disease and uh, the main guy keeps on saying it. And then no one understands until he mentions finding Dory and they go, oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, which one, which one actually works? Yeah, well, the joke is that no, the joke is that it, uh, everybody only knows finding Dory. And he's like, you're grownups. Why haven't you watched grownup movies? But yeah, so Tony Masters has memento disease, um, meaning his superpower, which I don't actually think we've mentioned yet in this episode. Taskmaster has muscle memory. He can see anybody doing anything and then, like, flawlessly impersonate it. But every time he absorbs another movement set, um, he loses memories of who he is and, like, every personal detail. Yeah. And the way uh, he deals with this is he goes to places that he can vaguely recall and then he tries to find scents and tastes and sounds to like maybe trigger memories um, like in his mind palace and this diner he's in at the beginning, uh, he remembers eating a chicken souvlaki here and fighting Electra. <laughs> what an auspicious start. Also, I love fighting Electra in a Greek diner in America. That tickles me every time. This happens like more often than you might think. She really likes trashing diners. Yeah, Electra is a terror of diners across the States. Um... When things, like, pop off and the bad guys get here, how did you like that page, which is just, like, a huge page of logos of all these different evil organizations with, like, close-ups of their eyes or their swords or their feet walking? I I couldn't stop laughing at some of the names. Uh, And then finding out that this is the first and potentially only appearance of some of them is even better. Yeah, and not all the ones you would think. Like, I didn't realize that the Legions of the Living Lightning was a real thing. Right? And the black choppers who turn out to be like weird UFO greys wearing motorcycle helmets and they're a biker gang is so funny. We need a whole book about them. I was surprised that the militiamen were not a thing. Yeah, the militiamen seem... I feel like I've read a comic with at least that idea of people who wear powdered wigs and shoot muskets. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm probably thinking of the Minutemen from Watchmen. Yeah, I I remember... I had a Batman issue when I was a kid where he fought uh, Civil War reenactors, which was pretty funny. (sighs) This page uh, really captures what I think Fred Van Lenty's really good at, which is like uh, he knows when to deploy a funny list that can simultaneously like do a lot of world building and tone setting. Um, Because right, because you immediately want to know more about all these organizations. Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, And it's also funny, like one of them is the Secret Empire which uh, now feels very different now that Captain America was in charge of that. Yeah, the Secret Empire is, uh, that's a whole thing. Yeah, but like, this is a whole different thing. This is like weird clansmen ninjas. I mean, that feels like, that. that's the Secret Empire in a nutshell. <laughs> that's what they've already like conjured up in my head. Although I guess they, <laughs> they're originally like a subsidiary of a subsidiary of, the, of Hydra who were 
technically a subsidiary of the Nazis. Uh, which, you know, that all tracks, actually. That's pretty prescient. Yeah. Um, I also really liked uh, Van Lenti's ta- uh, his catchphrase for uh, all the AIM guys was death by science, <laughs> which is so dweeby and so menacing at the same time. <laughs> Did he reuse that in MODOK, in MODOK's 11? Almost, per- uh, almost certainly. Has anyone used it since? I really hope so. I hope so, too. Right? Like, Fred Van Lenthe has, like, a great uh, feel for the, this superhero universe. And uh, I, it's so seamlessly uh, finding these, like, everyday angles on these, like, uh, they're, like very heightened situations. And that's, like, what Stan Lee was good at. Mm-hmm. Right? Was just, like, capturing the feelings when you're in a science-worshipping death cult. Yeah, without actually getting any of the science right. Doesn't matter, <laughs> as long as it's fun and and has just enough of an explanation this is it's also interesting to me how we see task there's a couple panels where we see tony masters unmasked but they're used very sparingly he he almost always interacts wearing his skull mask yeah yeah and in those moments we're either trying to establish his humanity or establish kind of the the genericness of his face yeah i mean his, his mask is very memorable but yeah yeah like the, there's a scene in at the beginning of issue two when he's wandering yeah. around. This is also we get to see the um, the visual motif here, and I love this uh, way of portraying his powers. Oh yes. Do you want to describe it, or do you want me to? You take it away. So anytime he uses his powers and he's in a fight, uh, the paneling will. You know, it'll just kind of like crop out a portion of his body, either the arm he's using or like half of his half of his body lengthwise uh and it will supersede um or superimpose rather an image of the hero or the villain or whoever that he's copying um and whose power he is then channeling and using so every so often you'll see like there might be three actions in a panel and it'll go from spider-man to captain america to wolverine yeah like i'm looking at he does a flying kick and his face and torso are shang chi but his arms and legs are still taskmaster Mm -hmm. or um, when he fires a bow he turns into hawkeye and it's also cool it's usually a very iconic image like hawkeye it's that diagonal hawkeye leaning back image that you see on so many covers Mm -hmm. and uh so it's like you're remembering the comics that he's also remembering and and it's kind of like blurring the the space between um uh, diegetic and non-diegetic yes can you can you use that for for stuff other than sound can you have diegetic images well yeah i mean either either an image on a tv is actually there or like you know we're we're seeing it but the people in the scene aren't seeing it kind of like i guess i guess if a um it would probably use mostly in, in film or whatnot when there's a flashback going on and, you know, someone's standing there and you see it kind of playing off in the distance, but it's not actually there. Um, yeah, I, I okay. I accept all that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess most of this issue is just a, is just a fight. And we're also introduced to uh, Taskmaster's waitress at the diner, Mercedes Merced. Um, we'll have more to say about Mercedes Merced in a second, but, like, uh, as somebody who didn't know what was coming... Elias, like, how did that character's inclusion read to you? Uh, as the rose to his doctor in kind of the... As we were talking about... Uh, what were we That's talking about? Uh, oh, and Howard the Duck. Yeah. Uh, just There was that, that whole push for the quirky sidekick character to kind of be there, either the, per- the person who's kind of 
stuck, dragged along, or joins up and then is there for the rest of the adventure. It's a bit of an audience surrogate to ask the questions necessary to fill us in without it seeming too out of place. Um, that's kind of the role that, that at first it, it felt like she was filling. Yeah, Doctor's Companion is a really uh, good des- description. Yeah, that's also similar dynamic in Ivar Timewalker, actually. Oh, yeah. Just an interesting thought. Um, but yeah, so that's precisely right. When she's first roped in, she seems just like a civilian caught up in all this, but like not unwilling to have an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just turned to the page where uh, these like little troll men wearing uh, purple hoods come out and goes, nobody expects the Inquisition. <laughs> um which is yeah it's like silly and referencey but i thought it was fun um but uh yeah so the issue ends with um taskmaster and mercedes finding out that they both the, the bounty has not been put on both of them and they have to go on on the run whoopsies but immediately in issue two we start uh in media res taskmaster is fully like armed and in his costume standing on a speeding but very dirty bus where a bunch of dead people with, like, words on their chest are flying out of the back of the bus, and a bunch of bikers with um, these, like, Day of the Dead, uh, Dio de los Muertos masks are chasing after him. Yeah. Very uh, Grim Fandango look. Oh, yes. There we go. I was trying to place the look. I'm like, this is evoking something, but I don't know what. Grim Fandango. Yeah. And... And this is the part of the uh, the series that definitely is, like... I, uh, let's say a joke you wouldn't make today, huh? Yeah, I was when they were doing that. I was like, um, is this a real character who really speaks like that? Because that feels bad. And you know what? It is. <laughs> and I appreciate yeah. that it it was serving a purpose. That clearly Van Lente was doing it for a reason, but maybe not a joke you would make today. So the. I mean, the basic joke is the Dawn of the Dead, D-O-N, his Which, name. That, you know, that's still funny. That that joke is just fine. That's a great <laughs> name. Uh, he speaks in, I guess, I don't know how you describe... A uh, dialect way... is, yeah. is, a, is a specific and neutral word, although it's not a neutral dialect. No, but in the same way that, say, uh, Garth Ennis would write... Um, Oh, why am I blanking on his name? In Preacher, with an Irish accent. Uh, uh, what's he, Cassidy? Is that the Irish? That yes, Cassidy. He would he would speak, and all it was written out as it would sound. Um, yeah, phonetically. Like, you, if you read the letters, you would say it with the accent. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing is here, but the accent here is, like, very stereotypically Mexican and pretty racist. And I don't think they're... Are, are they in Mexico? Yes. Yeah, they are in Mexico. They're in... Uh, he, says, he says specifically where they are. Yeah, I don't I don't remember the exact location. But... Uh, and he'll, you know, switch back and forth between just saying random Spanish phrases, and it all feels like some guy who has never been to Mexico, never met a Spanish speaker, never met someone who speaks English as a second language originally from Mexico would yeah, speak. Yeah, like, like sometimes uh, on like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, you run into like a white asshole who is talking to a Latino character and will just like throw in random Spanish words or just put vowels at the end of their words like they're talking a language. Yeah. And yeah, the the phonetic accent is like uh, was pretty Oof. shocking. I kind of, I kind of, I remembered this character, but I kind of forgot that that was that that had slipped my memory. Yeah, the character is pretty goofy, and I like the idea of uh, this like gang in the superhero universe being so funny because like 
a big part of their operation is the Don wants to make music. Yeah. Like, uh, he, he's got this, like, side hustle uh, where I think he's doing, like, hip-hop albums, which makes the, the final joke of the issue uh, make, you know, even more so. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he accidentally kills it. He kills one of the, one of his, I, I guess, goons who played the guitar in his band, and he instantly regrets it. And, like, ridiculous jokes like that, I love them. They're great. Jokes like that still land. Yeah, that, that's the part. Of, that's the Fred, the Fred Van Lenty thing. I feel like uh, makes me always think of you when I'm reading it now. <laughs> I mean, most of the most of the issue is just kind of Taskmaster wandering around with with Dawn of the Dead, and you know they get into more hijinks. Eventually, he runs away. There's a, a particular part where um, uh, Dawn of the Dead uh, asks if he can play a 1987 DG20 Casio electric guitar set to mandolin and drums. <laughs> Did you catch that reference? I'm curious. I didn't. I mean, I read it, but I had no idea what it meant. That was a, j- a joke from uh, Flight of the Concords, which was very hot when this came out. Oh. That's just fun to think about, too, because I feel like in a weird way, Flight of the Concords has become completely culturally dominant. Hmm. Like, Taika Waititi wasn't directly involved with that early thing, but, like, all those guys ended up becoming part of his little media empire, and, like, Reese Darby uh, rose to fame with Flight of the Concords and then starred on Our Flag Means Death, and Taika is such a big part of uh, Marvel right now. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, it was just funny. I was like, wow, Flood of the Concords. I hadn't thought about that in a while, but that actually had a huge impact on our culture today. Yeah. It's weird to, to go back and be like, here's a touchstone that might not necessarily be remembered, but is definitely still felt. Yeah, like, um, I also, this made me remember, there was a joke in a bunch of Bendis comics in the mid-2000s that he would name all the uh, background police officers after um, after detectives from The Wire. So there was always an Officer <gasps> McNulty. <laughs> McNulty. Yeah, and uh, and that would just be funny. That, like, I feel like uh, The Wire is uh, not remembered today like it was in 2009. No, not quite. Still studied. I had to study an episode or two for a communications class. Ah, that's interesting. I never yeah. got to watch The Wire in school. <laughs> it's always weird what, what you end up watching. Like I, I studied an episode of uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation, for English class, which had relevance for a linguistics class. Was it Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra? Uh, Shaka, when the walls fell. <laughs> Darmok, I, I, someone once told me Darmok and Jalad would be an excellent name for a wrestling tag team. Make it happen. And if they're from outer space. <laughs> Finally... Uh, the issue catches up with the the beginning action sequence on the bus. It's zany and it's uh, full of a lot of action. But the punchline to the issue is when Taskmaster unmasks the Don uh, that he's a blonde dude and presumably white. Well, definitely American and ex-Shield. Yeah. I think the implication is that he's like the all-American boy pretending to be this Mexican mafia Don. <laughs> yeah, and... I just I what I think is so funny about this is I feel like the the purpose of the joke like still might be attempted today but definitely not in this way and like I wonder if there's a way you could like move everything around and make a more palatable version now or a more salient point I guess a yeah, more salient point but also yeah because I feel like it's such a gotcha twist when you're like oh I guess he was a white guy when he was using that racist accent so he was racist and not Fred Van Lenty feels like kind of he's covering his ass and if you the reader knew so that earlier on uh then you would feel in on the joke and taskmaster could still find out and be uh, appalled yeah 
Um, anyway, the uh, issue ends with we see uh, Mercedes Merced is on the phone with Nick Fury. Who is not dead at this point. Who is not dead, and he is a white, also a white guy. Isn't, this, is, this is World War II Nick Fury, not... Uh, I guess whatever the other Nick Furies running around were. Oh, he was the LMDs. Maybe he's an LMD still. You know what? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would definitely think. Uh, if Nick Fury is appearing in this, is likely he's an LMD. He's often an LMD. <laughs> if 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 he appears, he's probably not real. <laughs> um, Elias, can you see the cover to issue three? Is this a village of Hitlers? Yes, so does does your issue have the tease for the next one? Yes, it it did. It did have that. It was next, the town that was Hitler? Question mark. Yeah, or maybe that, it was a town joke, full. Uh the town that was Hitler is such a so the, so this was another joke that I was thinking of how it had aged. Where at the time the town that was Hitler was such a funny parody of the kind of pulp that like silver age comics would do yeah i still think i still think like the cover and the tease landed the same at least for me because it's just so out there i found it hilarious i'm like okay what is this gonna be well and then the hitlers are all like they all have the, the face and mustache and haircut of it or some of them don't have his haircut but there's like women with Hitler's face who hold who are like farm girls, and there's like a biker looking guy and a farmer, <laughs> and it's just like a, all these people who look very different from each other, um, but all somehow are Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like Marvel, you know, uh, before Marvel even was Marvel, the very first image that uh, arguably Marvel thing put out was uh, Captain America punching Hitler. Yeah, it's a big part of the heritage of the company. Um, but then, so then you open the comic proper after the pretty funny cover, and like seeing the giant swastika in the town square, I actually was like, ah, uh, that's not as funny as I remembered it. No, yeah, the I was expecting it to kind of. I don't, I don't know what I was expecting. I, I guess I was expecting, like, just clones of Hitler walking around everywhere doing ridiculous Hitler things and, like, really taking the piss out of this guy in, like, a Charlie Chaplin kind of way. Yeah, because it's definitely a parody of uh, the boys from Brazil. Mm. You know, you know, boys from Brazil? Vaguely. I've never actually read the original story or anything, but it's a oh, it's an yeah. often cited story of a, a secret Nazi project to clone Hi- uh, Hitler, and then there's all these like Hitlers being raised in Brazil after World War II. So the idea of like Nazis escaping to South America and doing weird mad science is like definitely a '60s idea that Van Lenti is uh, parodying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess. One of the reasons it's, like, not that fun is that it's just not that fun. It's just, like, a bunch of people who are really enthusiastic about Hitler. I guess the later thing gets pretty wacky. It turns out that there's, like, evil super soldier serum that's the opposite of the Captain America one that, like, got in their well water and made them all want to style more like Hitler. No, it was it was that, but it was also cloned brains of Hitler, and so the brain juice got into their water, and so they all started thinking like Hitler. Yeah, and that's the part of this that, like, on a level, I think that's a pretty funny idea, and you could make it work somehow, right? Yeah, it, but it doesn't... It didn't work so well. I think in part because they... 
they're just kind of adopting the mindset and then the visuals like it's all cosmetic because each the basic premise is each house each family thinks they are their own you know nation or whatever and they're trying to conquer the other ones and like there's a joke about the non-aggression pact being you know violated and you know someone builds this big model and they're going to to do a, a war in winter no one will see that coming it's just it's a lot of a lot of jokes like that yeah which are like history jokes that are fun if you're into world war ii which yeah. i think everyone was in the 90s and aughts and st- oh, well saving private ryan that's what I mean. It's just like when Spielberg was like uh, thinking about World War II and all the boomers were freaking out about their parents' mortality. We got a lot of World War II media. Mm, that's a good point. Every, every uh, first person shooter to come out between like 1998 and uh, 2005 was a World War II game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the, the real reason why this joke is just like so distasteful is um, the way uh, this... So it turns out that these people were all indigenous to, where are they, in Peru? In Chile? Something like that? Um, Bolivia. Bolivia. So they're in Bolivia, and a bunch of people indigenous to Bolivia got, like, infected by the Hitler juice or whatever. Yeah. And the way they're referred to, which is pejoratively with the word Indian, and the way they're portrayed by uh, artist uh, Hefte Paolo is like, uh, I don't know, I don't feel like they're being deeply humanized, you know? I'm looking at the face of one guy. He's, like, dark-skinned, and he's got the Hitler mustache, and he's got these, like, this big grimace. I mean, I just have a problem with, this is a good time for me to air my grievance with the art in general. I don't like it. Like, it's just so, it's kind of muddy. It The faces are, they're not super expressive. I'm trying to, there is a, there's a specific style. Well, we were talking before the show about Jason Howard's art and it reminds there are panels where i look at something i'm like that's a jason howard face but jason howard does it mm. a lot better but like that kind of like scratchy style but here everything there's so it's like over inked it's so muddy yeah Ugh. and it's um also there's a little bit of jeff lemire right with the, the scratchy stylings yeah jeff lemire is a lot more sparse significantly yeah, yeah, more sparse. it's really busy like I, I if you're looking at the same panel i'm looking at which is when um Pazmaster realizes that these people aren't german that guy's face just has so many lines on it. it's like yeah. craggy and his forehead is wrinkled and there's shadows and they're not very well distinguished from each other so it just looks like his face is like covered in a road map <laughs> or in the next panel actually the lines on it that are supposed to be his neck veins just kind of like bleed into his shirt yeah so the creases in his shirt look like they're coming out of, like, tendrils from his neck. And I, that's not an intentional thing. No. And, I, yeah. I don't know much about Hefte Paolo. And I, like, we talked about the visual motif of um, of how of when he uses his powers. So, like, I don't think the art in this is irredeemably bad. But I tend to agree with you. It's very much a lesser version of a style that I often like. Mm-hmm. I would also go so far to reckon... Um, Fred Van Lenti is really um, famed for his excellent comic scripts, and there's actually um, the the script to issue one is printed in um, the back of my trade. Oh, that's cool. And he, his scripts are really excellent. They're they're very um, his his descriptions of panels never go more than a sentence or two, but there's a lot of uh, detail and nuance and tone that he conveys in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would uh, I don't want to take away credit from Hefty Paolo for his successes, but. The, the idea of the uh, powers being represented like that, I think, are equally shared with the writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but his paneling is very good. Like, it's pretty clear across. I just, it's the style and, yeah, it just does, I, didn't I, work for me. I, tend, no, I, I have no uh, objection to that criticism. 
Although the other, the joke that I think could have worked a lot better than it did, but was hamstrung by its own, by just the era's comedy, was the introduction of the Minions International Liberation Front and its leader, Red Shirt. Yeah, that was... It's very funny because you're absolutely like um, the way they explain the red shirt joke, which is a reference to uh, disposable characters on Star Trek. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're kind of over that as a culture being like, there's a thing called red shirts and that's really weird. Just like, I don't hear people making that joke no more. Yeah. And even just like that whole page of the one minion kind of trying to explain all of the jokes to the audience. Like, see, I'm in on the joke. I know it. I'm like, I got all that from the way the panels were introduced. Like the big splash page where this ridiculous thing happens was an Austin Powers style joke. We didn't need to then have someone comment on it in the comic. I I would have liked if they just kept him snorting at the joke and they didn't have the whole, and then he just got killed. Yes. Yes. Uh, we don't have to have the whole conversation explaining the joke. Yeah. I was really expecting him to not explain the joke, genuinely. I was like, oh, that's great. I love this. He doesn't realize. And then they explain. I'm like, oh, man. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of undermining. I also, though, I like that there's a hel- a stolen helicarrier full of somebody in the uniform of all the different evil Marvel teams. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. that's just like a fun image. And I would like to just spend more time with these guys. Um. And this issue ends with a retcon of Taskmaster's powers, um, hmm. which is essentially that this village of Hitler's was uh, started by a mad scientist who died back when Taskmaster was a, um, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And um, this guy's super soldier serum was going to be lost just like the Captain America one. So Taskmaster injected himself with it, and that's what gave him his current memory powers and problems. Did he, was he always a S.H.I.E.L.D. member or was that a retcon too? That was a retcon, I believe, in the 2002 Taskmaster miniseries. Okay. Uh, so that, that was a, a recent idea that hadn't been deeply explored. Gotcha. But I lo- I kind of really like that or- origin, that retcon that they made. I'm like, that's a, that's a clever way of kind of bringing it in. I mean, if you're going to tie everything back to this dang super soldier serum anyway. Well, it, it says just enough it's, and, and like you said at the beginning of this, it's got some interesting similarities to Deathstroke, actually, mm. of like a, a secret, a, an, a, an un, unscrupulous secret agent uh, taking a experimental serum to get powers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we find out the twist, and I gotta say, this twist kind of still makes the miniseries work for me. It's a really good twist. Yeah, you, you talk us through it. For a while... Mercedes Merced was kind of like, we're like, what is, what's her deal? She seems to be a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. She's working for Nick Fury, but then Nick Fury tries to burn her. Um, did that happen in issue three where he meets with Captain America? Yes, at yeah. the end of issue three. Yeah. So he tries to burn her, and, you know, with Nick Fury, you never know when he's talking out of one side of his mouth or, or the other. You never know what you know what's real, what's not. But... Clearly, Mercedes is is working for him somehow, in some way, feeding him information. And we're like, all right, what what's your deal? Why is she here? And um, Taskmaster kind of confronts her about it. And it turns out that not only was she a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, but she is his wife, who he didn't know he was married. We didn't know he was married. Turns out he was, and he can't remember. And this really recontextualizes this entire adventure. Yeah. Um... Because it turns out that, like, that whole beginning part with the diner was kind of a setup. And mm-hmm. that this is actually Taskmaster's routine. And 
this also is probably my favorite comics retcon ever. Because it turns out that through being handled by Agent Mercedes Merced, um, Nick Fury and, like, the spy characters have always been keeping one eye on what the villains are up to. Mm, yeah. Like, uh, like from his first appearance, Taskmaster has now been unwittingly an asset of S.H.I.E.L.D. And they let him train the henchmen, because someone's going to train the henchmen. But if he keeps training the henchmen, they'll know what the henchmen are getting up to, and they can stop them before they do bad stuff. Yeah. And... I love this retcon because it's it's perfect because no other book ever has to acknowledge it. And indeed, few have have ever acknowledged it. Yeah, I once you first mentioned that he had like these memory problems or these these other things, I've been looking out for it in other books and they don't seem to reference it. But this book does a really good job of setting it up so no one else ever has to. But it is always there and kind of like in the back of your mind, like he's so good at his job that he can fake remembering people <laughs> yeah he just like uh, uh agrees with what you say and like comes in boldly and just start, starts naming names yeah but like he yeah. probably remembers spider-man and whatnot he seems to remember moon knight or at least has a note which says don't fuck with moon knight yeah or maybe that's a not a specific memory to him but a well-known piece of trivia that you shouldn't fuck with moon knight yeah things like that Mm-hmm. He'll just be like, ah, oh, Danny, of course, I, uh, what's up? It's been way too long. I should have texted you. <laughs> and just like, and he has no idea who Danny is or whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah, I just like, that's one of the things I love about Fred Van Lenti is this like kind of deepens the emotional texture of the character. It's also kind of funny. And he also, if nobody ever reads this Fred Van Lenti comic, it doesn't feel like they're ignoring this because, um, because, you know, it's, Taskmaster doesn't know about it. So when he's teaming up with Black Ant in the pages of Nick Spencer's Spider-Man, just because we never see Mercedes show up uh, doesn't mean she's not there. Yeah, it doesn't mean she's not helping him organize these as the, um, I guess, the the liaison between. But is she, so one point of clarification, is she the organization and the hub or is she just the hub? Um I don't remember. she is she, she is the hub there is an or, like an organization of criminals but she is the one that like hooks taskmaster up with his crime jobs and she's not really a shield agent anymore she's just like full-time doing this as a project both to be with her husband sometimes in any way she can and to like do some good with his condition mm-hmm. and um and so she just like i i like to think that after nick fury kind of gets booted uh she starts sending intel to Captain America or Daisy Johnson or whoever she thinks is the trustworthy spy. Not Maria Hill. Yeah, probably she skipped Maria Hill. She skipped Victoria Hand. Hopefully she skipped Norman Osborn. I we I would like to imagine that she she skipped Norman Osborn. I imagine she was like uh, informing on his operations in Nick Fury, hmm. which would have been during Hickman's Secret Warriors. Hmm. Um, but so uh, the, the last issue is kind of a Taskmaster versus the Secret Avengers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's most... Yeah, I was like, he doesn't fight the Secret Avengers at all. No, he mostly fights Red Shirt, and that's fine. And I also really like, I think it's like a imaginative, funny little superhero move that um, in order to get the best of Taskmaster, uh, Red Shirt has trained in secret Shi'ar fighting techniques that Taskmaster would never have seen before. Mm. Which I just like, uh, I like the, he's like, I'm shooting my shot. He hasn't gone far enough into space to have trained with Shi'ar warriors before. And he happened to be right. He was lucky. And so he gets the upper hand in the, in the fight. But then he forgot that Taskmaster can absorb powers just by watching them. Right, or maybe he knows enough to know that Taskmaster uh, wouldn't jeopardize his relationship with Mercedes, his newfound uh, 
marriage mm. because that's of course what happens um and this you know for uh, all that we uh, don't love the art here i really love this page where um taskmaster unleashes all of his memories of all of his powers and he's just got like six arms and six legs of yeah. all these different recognizable superhero limbs that was a really cool page yeah, and like he looks powerful, and his power looks like is like unleashed in its full glory. Mm-hmm. But of course, that triggers the amnesia again, and the comic ends with just uh, Mercedes uh, continuing this fight. She tells Nick Fury, "I don't care if you're uh, you don't do anything with the intel. I'm still going to collect it and send it where it needs to go." It's a really it's a really sad ending to the series. <laughs> yeah, it is a really sad ending to the series. Made even sadder by I went on the Marvel wiki and I checked. And how many issues do you think Mercedes Mercedes appeared in? Well, I can tell you because we both looked at the same wiki entry, and that is four. Four, and these are the four. This is the one, the first and last time she has ever appeared. She just hasn't been seen in a decade. Yeah, but here's my thing now is I read this uh, these issues as they came out. I loved them. I thought that Swiss was so clever, and Taskmaster had been pretty fun in his appearances so far, but this added so much nuance to imagining where was Mercedes? What did the good guys know? What didn't they know? Mm-hmm. And and it, and over the years, it's just become my little secret. We're like, not a lot of people have read this. It's clear that most writers don't know about uh, this angle of Taskmaster or don't care. Um, but imagining it has always been like such a rich and fulfilling uh, game to play. Mm-hmm. That like um, what Mercedes has been up to has been my little fanfic that I've been like writing in my head for 10 years because there hasn't been a story on the paper. Yeah, I was hoping that maybe she would show up in the... Like I said, the Jed McKay miniseries. Seems like Taskmaster gets a miniseries every 10 years. So in 2030, maybe she'll make an appearance. Yeah. maybe I I think that there, this story will have its time. Because right, cause overall, like there was definitely... I would not recommend this comic to anyone else in clean conscience, having returned to it and seen some icky, uh, cringy elements. Mm-hmm. But I still think that the, the main ideas of the story are so strong. It's such a great take on the character that um, shitty MCU appearance aside, uh, there's like a great <laughs> Taskmaster story waiting to be told again. Yeah. I mean, if Deadpool can get that redemption, I think Taskmaster can, can too. Yeah. And um, I'm happy we finally read this. I think, I just feel like Fred Van Lenty's your boy. I just feel like he's got the sensibilities that really jive with how you see the Marvel Universe. I would agree. Um, I still need to read... Oh, where... No, that's Jeff Parker. Jeff Parker's currently doing Ninjak. I don't know what Fred Van Lanty's currently doing. There was a series, and I wanted to, to check it out, but... The the most recent uh, Fred Van Lanty story, or comic I read, was um, Comic History of Animation, which was excellent. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and he's been doing a lot of that, that sort of work uh, of late. Yeah. Maybe he's mostly doing research. I really hope he uh, does more Marvel work someday. I mean, like power to him if he's making it work and he doesn't. It's not worth the the hassle. Yeah. But like Marvel was lucky to have him, and he's got such. And I feel like uh, I would love to see his more uh, mature sensibilities with the Marvel universe today. Oh, for sure. I would love to see what that looks like. For sure. Speaking of mature. I am bravely facing what you have in store for me, Elias. Yes. I think we should start talking about what comes next. So, we are two episodes away from our hundredth episode. Next time... Oh, damn. Yeah. Next time we're going to be, if all goes well, if all is right... We're going to check back in with our with our, some of the current books and the X line. Uh, but the episode after that, we are going to be beginning something kind of special. Uh, but we're going to start with the first 11 issues 
of Jack Kirby's Eternals. Yeah, uh, I've made no secret on this podcast that I think the Eternals are Jack Kirby's lamest creation and one of the lamest uh, franchises in Marvel. And they have had been having a recent push. They've had some A-list talent on them. So we thought it would be interesting to see if we can find any, if there's any Eternals I've ever would have liked. Yeah. So that will be in two episodes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, For anyone reading along at home, there are going to be sections of this that at some point you may not be able to. But for now, the Jack Kirby stuff is pretty well um, and easily findable. Uh, It's found in Eternals by Jack Kirby Volume 1 or in the first half of the Eternals by Jack Kirby Complete Collection. Or if you really want to find it, this is, I don't know if it's even in print because Marvel doesn't keep anything in print or print very many hardcovers. Um, They're expensive, I get it, but come on, five months, that's nothing. Uh, the The Eternals Complete Saga Omnibus, somewhere in there. Uh, Yeah, and uh, if you are... Uh, someone who likes the Eternals, uh, hopefully we'll have a lot of interesting stuff to say. And if you're someone who, like me, uh, has never liked the Eternals, uh, hopefully you'll find get something out of this, too. I'm hoping to get something out of this. Yeah, I, I mean, think it, come by. We'll, we'll probably roast a lot of it, and it'll be fun. <laughs> I do like roasting things. You are right. <laughs> but in the meantime, Jaina, where can they find you on the larger interwebs? Folks can find me at multiversitycomics.com. It's a pretty great website. And by the time this episode is out, I should be starting to wrap up uh, this season's coverage of Attack on Titan. And I also write about X-Men. You can also find me on comicbookherald.com. I recently reviewed a Daredevil book. I liked it. Um, And you can find me on Twitter at rambling underscore moose. Elias, what about you? Where can folks find you? They can find me on Twitter at Quetzal-ish. That's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. That is the code I type into my payphone in order to get all of the special secret spy documents that I need to do my reviewing job. Uh, and you can find me writing at multiversitycomics.com. Come fall, I have no idea what I will be writing about, but probably something. Who knows? I like taking on too many projects. You surely do. Uh, until then, gentle listeners. Excelsior.